everyone, and uh, welcome to the Gateway Conversations Exploring the Intersection of Technology, Business, and Research. Uh, this episode is brought to you proudly by the OMIS Department at Northern Illinois University. We are currently offering a completely online master's degree in data analytics, so anyone who's interested in that, please make sure you visit niu.edu forward slash online and you'll be able to find all of the information. Uh, joining me and every one of these discussions is my friend and colleague, Dr. Biagio Police. Welcome, Biagio. Thanks for being here. Ciao. Ciao, everyone. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Glad to see you. a lot of you, a lot of people here and um, getting ready for this great dis discussion. Perfect. Yes, I'm excited as well. Thank you, Biagio. Uh, so, as all of you know, and, and for all of those uh, tuning in, this inaugural event, we will be looking at the potential impact of artificial intelligence on our world, our future, and, and what it could be. So when Biagio and I were talking about this one, we couldn't really think of anyone better than our two wonderful guests. Uh, first, let me introduce to you Dr. Dominic Dillerman. Uh, Dominic is the CEO and founder of Cortex, a groundbreaking startup augmenting the entire decision-making process by combining human intuition with artificial intelligence, which I think is absolutely perfect for what we're going to be talking about today. So thanks so much, Dominic, for being here and welcome. And I'll introduce the other guest, which is Dr. Milal Kaledian, which is a PhD student from Louisiana State University, exactly like me. But he has a PhD in mechanical engineering, which he utilized to explore robotics, control, and artificial intelligence. He's currently a staff and AI robotics engineer at Nikon Research. And I have to say thank you so much for these two guests because one of them is in Europe, so it's 9 p.m. And one of them is in California, which is 12 p.m. So thank you. Thank you, both of you, to be here. So I just want to jump right in. I know I know uh, all of our, our listeners are, are interested in this conversation. So I think to, to start, we should kind of define really what we're talking about. So if you both could give us some context of, in your perspective, what artificial intelligence is and, and what you're using it for, just kind of some general context. Dominic, if you're, I think you're, I think you're still muted if you are, sorry about that. Yeah. Ah, there we go. There so, we go. Uh, yeah. So uh, I would just start by that. Uh, first of all, thanks for, for having us. Uh, we're super excited to, to be here. Um, and to answer your question, what is artificial intelligence? Uh, a big one, uh, I would say. But uh, I think, first of all, uh, I think it's uh, right now it's mainly used as a buzzword. But what it actually means for, for, for me, for us as a company, is like using um, intelligent technology uh, for solving business problems. So that's uh, kind of what we define uh, AI. And, and we are always interested in how we can use AI to not, not just automate stuff, right? Because automation is, is more the boring thing to, to me personally. I, I'm interested in augmenting. It's the, the interesting part is not what we can do, what we did before, now just in a different way, automated faster, but what can we do that could not be solved before by using this kind of technology and, and helping people to do their job in a better way and, and to lift them on levels they couldn't achieve before. And that's the thing, uh, how I see AI and, and why we are excited to, to use this kind of technology um, to, and to bring it to business actually. 
that's very cool. That's very cool. Well, I want to I want to talk more about that, Dominic. But I want to see where that's coming from first. <laughs> yep. So, hey guys, this is Malad, and I'm very excited to be here today uh, to learn more about AI. And thank you so much for having me. And thanks for the introduction, Ross and Biagio. So in my opinion, which basically I come from a robotics background, which I know nothing about business, by the way, but I tried to learn <laughs> today. So uh, AI, in my opinion, is a very broad spectrum and uh, basically provides a science or a set of tools to solve very, very, very complex problems that before basically we couldn't solve them. Like the tasks or the problems that requires maybe, you know, high level of human intelligence. Like if I want to make this a little bit kind of simpler, think about, you know, if you show uh, an image of a dog, for example, to a five years old kid, easily the, you know, the kid can say, oh, this is a dog. Even they might even say the breed, this is a white Swiss shepherd or a, you know, dachshund or whatever. But if you show that to a robot, you know, even though that's very simple for human to do, but a robot cannot do that because it requires, you know, maybe you know, a lot of training. It requires a lot of intelligence to be able to say such a thing. So the AI is basically provides rather maybe simple solutions to extremely hard problems that before we couldn't solve them easily, but now, you know, just with the help of AI, we can solve those very complex problems that requires human intelligence. And, and Ross, one of the reasons why I was so excited to have these two here is because of the two completely different perspectives they look at stuff. Like one of them is clearly like somebody that builds AI and make the use of AI, for example, in robot. The other one is trying to leverage out to solve business uh, problem. And so I think that's the mix that uh, will make us this conversation very interesting. And I can give you my perspective. I'm, I mean, I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm an expert of AI, but I can do some research of AI. And I think I'm closer to Dominic in this, uh, because for me is providing intelligence to machine and make this machine looks like human and perform tasks, uh, in a more scalable way. Like human cannot, uh, be available for us 24 seven. Uh, they cannot go among a lot of tasks at the same time while machines are more powerful. And once they are able to train in a certain way, they can, they can get to uh, doing stuff like us. And <laughs> I, I always have the example of uh, Boston Dynamics, which is a company that builds robots, right? And, and I remember when at uh, the very beginning that this, this video where the robot wasn't even capable of avoiding objects. And so it was falling by itself on the, the banana peel. But now they can do parkour and other crazy activities that can make our life better just because they can automate jobs that for us are very difficult to perform. So, uh, so that, that, that's really interesting, Biagio, because it, when, when I think about this, Dominic, you mentioned that AI is like a buzzword. And, and so, so you have kind of that beginning side of the spectrum where it's tossed around at cocktail parties to, to, to feel good about yourself, even though you may not have the full context. But then on the complete other side, we're talking about robots actively doing parkour. So I think there can be a lot of confusion fusion in there. And, and I guess for me, as someone who would use AI at a cocktail party to feel good about myself, I, I want to know a little bit more, like where, 
where we're really at right now. What what are we seeing that we might not even as a as a humanity or society realize AI has already been doing that? What what are we benefiting from it? I guess why are companies jumping into this stuff? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think there there is uh, something that is that is very interesting. That uh, so, so I also have a background in research. Um, so you kind of you come out of your bubble, right? So for you, it's all so so clear, and and, and uh, you're talking about these things as if they were like uh, common sense. Um, and then when you go to to like industry or like uh, society as general, then you you kind of come in a discussion where we see many times people have like the expectations are quite different from reality. And it's, it's, it's quite interesting because it goes in two directions. On the one hand, there are things um, that people th that are very si simple for machines, right? Uh, working with uh, big, big amounts of data and things like that, where uh, when we talk with people and, and business applications, people think like, yeah, but that's such a complex thing. How can we do that? And uh, this is obviously something that uh, like machine learning is perfectly for. And then on the other hand, uh, there is this kind of misunderstanding of uh, what we talked about before with transferring knowledge, like putting knowledge into a different domain um, and making this transfer fast. So, so we say many times that, Uh, people see this kind of technology, they say, ah, it works here so perfectly, we can do it somewhere else. And, and then they have this kind of imagination of DAI, which I always like as a term when people say DAI, kind of, they, they think like there's some smart things sitting around somewhere and uh, I, I don't know, uh, doing some task and they it can just do everything. And then we also come into to this uh, this kind of discussion where it comes into, yeah, will it be dangerous for us? And then people pick up the, like the, 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 the tweets of uh, Elon Musk and, and so on uh, without context. And, and they don't think about uh, it from like really a, a technology perspective, but it's kind of scaring them in some way. So I see that there is a lot of uh, need to, to make it accessible to people and to explain it to people what it is and, and how you can apply it to get like a rough understanding. And especially I can see that in Europe and I think, um, I mean, Germany is pretty poor when it comes to every kind of digital technology and AI, uh, it's nothing different here. So Imagine I think Italy. we are, Imagine Italy. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a European problem to be honest, right. really. I yeah. So, so I think there, yeah. So I think uh, especially there, people have this kind of uh, weird imagination of, of what it actually is. And then, then we, uh, for example, recently I saw that uh, they were talking about uh, Europe needs uh, uh, a European built sovereign AGI and things like that. And you're thinking, guys, what are you doing? Like you're investing shiploads of money and you're basically, you're just burning money because of this uh, expectations and, and kind of thinking Uh, that doesn't make sense at all. So uh, this is something where I see a lot of issues that, that need to be solved to kind of make it accessible to, to the public and then also make it easier for people to, to kind of understand what's possible and what's not and, and uh, help them actually use it in, in, in the real world kind of. 
that's I think you you encapsulated it really well there, Dominic. But then I want to go to to Malad within this question because when we start talking about like the the fear and, and some of those things when we talk about AI, I, I mean, all of a sudden sci- science fiction becomes the, the normal within that one. Malad, you're working with robots right now, so obviously that means all you're dealing with is things that shoot lasers at us, and you have to hide behind desks all day long, <laughs> right? Like that's your job, right? Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I would say at the moment we are not there for sure, but you know, <laughs> that's kind of yeah. good for, for me. At least. <laughs> Sorry, but but definitely in a maybe in a longer future. I'm not sure when exactly, but it could definitely AI uh, or in general, you know, machine learning, AI, robotics. It's like a you know knife. It's double sided. It could be used for you know a lot of interesting stuff to help people basically from manufacturing to logistic, specifically to healthcare that nowadays is being used a lot. And also in business, which you guys are more familiar than me, you know, it can be used for all those domains, which they are actually being used. And it's kind of, we are just at the beginning of AI, basically, although it's been a lot of work on it from the, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, but because of, I'm going to talk about that later, because of computation power. Now we can use it a lot more but still beginning, but then uh, it could, you could use it, you know, against ethics, for example, you can use it for any other, you know, reasons. As an example, let me uh, just make one example, basically to make it simpler in computer vision. So, you know, face recognition, for example, you know, or that police departments or, you know, government, maybe they use it for all their stuff, but the, the possibility of being, you know, caught or the possibility of being jailed being uh, going to jail for a black person or an african-american is a lot higher because of the algorithm basically being a little bit biased because of the amount of faces they see but in a lot of cases you know you uh, specifically for the deep learning algorithm when you try to train the algorithm based on some images and uh, you know that the data the data could be biased for example or it could be noisy for example so that could cause a lot of issue in the you know output so if I tell you in a lot of AI companies, the majority of the time is spent on clearing the data, basically, because you have billions of data that you have to work with and you have to make sure it's not noisy, it's not biased or things like that. So I would say in general, like we are at the beginning of it, but there is a very long you know, future for AI, specifically in terms of you know, computation power. So before we did not have that amount of computation power to be able to uh, kind of, you know, solve deep learning problems or solve vision problem or speech problem or voice problem, anything basically like those. But in the future, in the next 30 years, 40 years, when we see, you know, autonomous vehicles all over the place, basically, then it could become definitely scary a little bit because the government is going to step in and they say, we have to regulate these power, basically. And I'm pretty sure that'll happen maybe, you know, beginning of 2050 or something like that, maybe even sooner than that, because now a lot of young people, the companies, startups, you know, researchers, all these big tech companies, specifically here in the Bay Area, you can see they work on AI. And they, if you look at the job advertisement, most of them is on machine learning engineers, scientists, AI, which AI, like I said, is very broad, but, you know, they are just putting a lot of effort, a lot of money, and I know Dominic mentioned AGI, specifically in AGI, for example, but going from, you know, s- small steps 
up to the high, specifically autonomous vehicle. There are more than probably 50 autonomous vehicle companies in the Bay Area just working on autonomous vehicle. And they have some vehicles on the road right now in San Francisco, which a very complex city, in my opinion, if you have been there in terms of health, you know, very crowded, very dense place that is very hard to make autonomous vehicle work there. If you can make it work there, then perfect. But then you I have to try Naples. Then you have to try Naples. If you want to, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, sure. I'm, I'm excited about this conversation because I, I actually see um, raising two different points, right? I, I see Dominic's perspective, which he has a company that leverages AI for good. Like, and I, I wanted to ask him more about exactly what they do with his company. But on the other side is Milad, is somebody that works with robot, is kind of raising the point of his AI fair. Can he? Can, can he has limitation and what kind of this limitation, uh, what kind of impact this limitation have on, on people, on society, right? So this is this is pretty much what we wanted to do. And that's why we wanted to do it in Halloween because it's, it's, it's scary, right? <laughs> <laughs> we don't know what's going to take over us. And there are movies showing us the future where the robot take over humanity. So I, I think it's perfect. So I don't know, uh, Raz, we're going back to Dominic and asking how they use AI. For in this company? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well I, I think the, the kind of cross between that is, especially with computational power, is it so much that we have more computational power or is it more accessible? Like, Dominic, is that kind of where it is that now, instead of having supercomputers, that there was one in a, and it took a floor of a building where now businesses can access it and on our phones, we have just as much, like, is that changing on the business side of things? Cloud computing. Yeah. Totally. I mean, um, I think it's uh, accessibility on the one hand, uh, which is also a thing of like uh, pricing wise. So it's uh, not uh, that you need to invest uh, millions for, for many things. Um, but another thing is uh, also in, in terms of algorithm and, and the, the progress that we have in, in deep learning frameworks, for example, um, also uh, pre-trained models uh, like uh, language models, for example. I think this is also a great step forward to make it much more accessible because if you need to, like, for example, we're using uh, a lot of um, uh, deep learning models for text and, and uh, natural language understanding. But when you need to, it's, it's enough work to adapt them to the business domain, right? So for example, to, to make them understand um, business texts in our case, it's, it's many times about uh, um, what companies are doing and, and technologies and things like that. So to adjusting it to that is already complex enough. And now if you need to start from scratch and training, uh, an AI to understand knowledge first, uh, it becomes again super expensive, which you can see like uh, how much uh, Google and, and, and OpenAI spend on just on compute basically for, for their latest models. So I think uh, also this is a great step forward um, in, in open sourcing um, on the one hand frameworks, on the other hand also parameter of uh, pre-trained models. To, to make it accessible for, for the public, basically. And, and something I would like to basically jump in about is the fairness discussion, because I'm also really interested into, into this topic is, um, like we always think about it um, from, from this hybrid intelligence perspective. So uh, it's some kind of term that, that, we, went, that we kind of uh, created uh, during my PhD and still using afterwards is 
And we are always thinking about what's the, what's the, the biggest threat basically of bringing, um, bringing bias into data or into, into AI. It's basically the human in the loop kind of. And that's something, for example, that, that, that we um, are actively working on with uh, some research institutions here is how can you kind of learn the, mo the mental model of, of some human to, to make sure that you kind of control when they put in no uh, some knowledge into a system? How can we make sure that, let's, let's call it the labels, are not biased? Because this is uh, one of the biggest threats. And, and in the end, who, who are the most uh, racist uh, individuals or, or like entities on the world? It's, it's like humans. And I think AI also has the potential to kind of uncover a lot of unfairness in, in HR, for example. Um, I think you also mentioned the, the, the thing with um, going to jail. I think also there we can see a lot of uh, racist behavior that might be even subconscious for, for the judge. And AI now gives us kind of also the, the possibility to uncover that and to make it visible and transparent. And also that, that we as humans can learn from that and we can kind of improve our own models that we have uh, in our head to, to make decisions, for example, or, or to make judgments. And I think this is also a very exciting direction to, to think about what AI can, can do and make AI has the potential. And um, I totally agree that you need to take care of it, um, but um, it has the potential to make things much fairer than they are now because they, it can be uncovered what is like now uh, beneath the, the, the thinking of, of humans that are in power positions. So, um, I, I want to jump into this because I think the the concept of hybrid intelligence is is super cool, but is is now well known. I, uh, I I'm very interested in it. So so just let's explain it a little bit to everybody. So hybrid intelligence is a human uh, can do so many tasks at the same time, but then there is a computer that can do much more. Is hybrid intelligence a, like a human with a bigger brain, like a, a computer brain, or how, how does that work? in, for example, your company and how do you apply it? That's, that's mm -hmm. interesting to me. So, so we are always thinking about it uh, as uh, human plus AI and using complementary strengths, right? So um, as we brought up already in the discussion with uh, transfer, for example, or human can compress a lot of information for that you cannot capture in data because you just don't have the, the data available. Yeah. So um, if I ask you, for example, let, let's take a super simple example, uh, weather forecasting. So you can use a lot of historic data, but you could uh, use so much more data. Let's say you could have sensors everywhere and things like that. Mm -hmm. But if I ask you, um, what do you think how the weather will be like? You probably, you can compress so much information. <laughs> look yeah, at the sky, just, just look at the sky. <laughs> Yeah, but just looking outside, exactly. Right, so you right. can compress so much information yeah, into into right. something uh, like a judgment, for example, um, that gives the possibility, and this is the second part for, for mutual learning. So um, it's kind of, on the one hand, you can use AI to kind of um, augment a human by like supporting, providing contextual information, things like that. 
And on the other hand, you can use this uh, knowledge again to um, give it back to, to the algorithm, like to use the human kind of as a, a constantly labeler of, of situations, um, especially in business where we apply it. There are so many situations that are super complex and, and you you cannot uh, do like uh, take a, lot, a data set with a lot of labeled examples to supervise learning and you're done. So it's like a, a constant a process where you can uh, kind of label, uh, so to say, very complex business situations and then make sense of it uh, in the retrospective. So the, um, human, the human leverage the technology to perform tasks and make better decisions just because it has more power and the algorithm learns from the human outwork more like a human, right? <laughs> Something like exactly. that? Again. Exactly. And the final part uh, is um, that I think something that we all agree on and, and that's uh, to solve things that couldn't be solved before. And uh, we think there is definitely between we, uh, before we go to uh, AGI that is like uh, capable of doing everything in the world. I think there will be a long time of um, hybrid intelligence kind of doing that. And, and th this I think will be Definitely the next generation that, that we have in AI, like moving from full automation to, to this hybrid approach, especially if you have like very critical domains, uh, can be safety critical, can be also critical from a, like from an ethical standpoint. Um, and sometimes it's uh, just something like the, like the a subjective feelings that uh, people feel much more convenient when they have the feeling they are still the ones pushing the button, although they might uh, do the exact same thing. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, Dominic, that's a, I, I absolutely love that because I'm going to, I have a question for that later. So I definitely want to touch more on that. <laughs> Milan, I, I'm, I'm going to bring what Dominic was saying back of, of within biases built into algorithms and, and what we, what we put that we bring our own self into, to these things. As someone who works with robotics, I would say, or I, I believe you're trying to imitate the human ability within a robot, whether it's visual, whether it's physical, anything like that. How do you approach that where you're trying to imitate human, but you still want to take some of our, our, our worst parts of who we are? So you know, how do you create it, but eliminate human from being a robot? Yeah, that, that's a great question. So uh, I think in robotics, basically, uh, if you want to emulate human behavior, the, the reason we do this is because the, the robot would do it better. Specifically, we are not emulating the entire human being or entire human brain because that would take probably hundreds of years to do that. Because as we know, you know, our brain has been, you know, in evolution for millions of years and, uh, you know, it can do, for example, computation that in, in microseconds that supercomputers cannot do it in weeks, basically. So uh, the vision, voice, speech, text, all these recognition, that's what we want to take first from human and then give it to the robot. For example, vision is one of the most important things specifically in my own area of work and also feeling. So these two, by feeling, I mean not the you know emotional feeling and stuff. Maybe one day, but not now. Yeah, physical feeling. So, for example, for a human, if you want to put a uh, USB into a USB port without looking at it, as long as you get close to it, you can just do by feeling and then insert, right? 
for a robot, that's not an easy thing, right? So you have to either go back to what Boston Dynamics that uh, Biagio mentioned do, which actually a lot of people, they don't believe Boston Dynamics are AI because, <laughs> <laughs> because they do classical control on robotics. They don't do any sort of, as far as I know, they, they are tr trying, but they, they don't do any sort of, uh, you know, the AI that we talk about these days, they do completely advanced, you know, force control robotics and things like that. Very, very well designed, hand tuned, hand designed algorithm that basically works perfectly. But if you put that into an unstructured environment, it's not going to work that well. If you change just a bit something, it's not going to work out. So the, the main thing we want to do is we want to empower the robot to do things in unknown environment. Like if you change something just a bit, it has to be able to take care of it. You know what I mean? Like if you put it in an unstructured environment, it should be able to take care of that specific task, for example, not, not basically because a lot of time in the past, we had you know math, we had physics, we had a lot of things that we could do in robotics, but if you have changed something, nothing is gonna work out because you know it would become unstructured. It would become dynamic, but now, we want to empower robots with AI to do those kind of stuff. And the main thing we do, like I said, is vision, you know, kind of voice recognition and feeling basically like the tactile sensing and things like that, specifically in my own area. I mean, that's, that's yeah, yeah, that's, I'm sorry. Go yeah, ahead. No, go ahead. Go on. I, was think, I was always thinking like the next thing robot will do is probably like checking us in like restaurant or checking us in hotels and bring us stuff during the night where, you know, you might not have somebody uh, able to do it. So it's, it's super interesting that uh, it, it's so much related to how much they can emulate us rather than how good can be in doing those tasks. Like to me, Boston Dynamic was AI, but I'm glad that I have you in the show <laughs> to explain us that it's actually not, not as simple as that. So, so be as you, that, that's what scares me. That's what scares me. So I'm totally cool with like a robot bringing me food, right? I have absolutely no okay. problem with that whatsoever. But the second a robot learns how to do problem solving that my job is based on now, now then I get a little concerned or, or when, you know, a robot can create a, a, a piece of art that is just as, beautiful as as a human so i feel like people get kind of come on that fearful side of ai and robots when it's attacking kind of our way of life or like our opportunities for both of you do you see that do you have to deal with that how do you how do you combat that are they taking our jobs or not that's the question right I, <laughs> If, if I want to answer that question pretty simply, I would say uh, for everything, basically, not just robotics, whatever technology that comes in from that very long time ago to now, people were afraid, oh, this is going to take our job. This is going to do this, this is going to do that, right? At the beginning, it might look like that. And actually, it might take some job a little bit. But if you look at the longer horizon, it's going to create way, way, way more jobs and you know wealth for the entire world maybe a little bit you know in the beginning it'll hurt some people for example let's say in the uh, you know two years ago not actually two years ago three months ago i was uh, for a while i was working for a robotics company that in midwest actually in ohio that we were basically doing vision-based autonomous welding so think about that you have a big robot that does welding right and then you just throw some part in front of it using vision, it sees it and it knows where exactly it has to weld. 
with a best wealth quality, way, way better than human, that basically it was doing the wealth for you and part is done. So if you give that to a human, it's going to take a while. First of all, for example, in a world industry, people think, okay, if you create a robot that does welding, then human will go out of a job, right? But if you look at it, humans don't want to do those kind of stuff. The average age for a welder now is more than 40 years old. They don't want to do welding because it's hurting their eyes. It's bad for health. And for example, the robotics in warehouses, in logistics, people don't want to do boring jobs, for example, like just pick and place things and then sorting things that basically they do 24-7. A robot can do that better. The, the motto of our previous company was, you know, we build robots that human can create because human, human ability is just tremendous, basically. So I would say in the long run, it's going to just create more jobs. Like look at Uber. When Uber came in, they were like, oh, it's going to take job from taxi drivers and things like that, right? At the beginning, it did for sure. But it created a more efficient network that even those taxi drivers, they could drop out and then they go on Uber and make more money, basically, because it creates opportunity for literally everyone. It's not just for scientists or I know it's going to make a little bit, you know, a certain spectrum of people a lot more wealthier, but in general, it's going to be good for the entire society in the long run. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> okay. yeah, I think we all took that in for a little bit. That was good. Dominic, go ahead. No, I, I, I totally agree with what you said, basically. I think that's uh, something that is kind of uh, inherent to, to any human being that uh, you, you're kind of afraid when things change. Because one thing that is sure is that it will definitely change jobs it will change skill profiles needs for for education and and uh, i think this is basically the the important part before it really creates new jobs because i also i i mean we've seen this with every kind of wave of technology that uh, people are afraid and in the end we have more jobs more employment more wealth than we had before I think it will be the same with with AI technology and and automation. And I think a crucial part is how can we kind of make sure that that we upskill people so that we give them like the new requirements that they have or that they need basically to to do jobs that involve AI in some way or that involve technology in general. I mean, uh, think about uh, you, you're, you're doing a job where you do a lot of manual work and, and suddenly you have technology that is automating it and your job is no longer um, doing this manual task of step one, step two, but maybe more of a, like a higher cognition task, which is uh, supervising a robot doing this job or things like that. And I think the the biggest challenge for society and, and especially education. So it's good to have uh, you guys here also from the educational side, uh, because this will be uh, your biggest challenge is, is how can we kind of upskill people? How can we empower them um, through, through education to make it accessible and to, to help them understand how they interact with technology, what are new requirements and, and how to basically not uh, get left behind, but take 
basically advantage of um, the, the progress that we have. So Dominic, I'm, I'm cutting you off here because this is a perfect advertisement for Northern Illinois University. <laughs> when I, I totally played. Um, but but for, for that- example, Weren't I supposed to do that? <laughs> be great. Yeah, you just, whenever you want to come and be a guest lecturer, come on over, we'll have <laughs> But with that one, so so a lot of our audience is working on that and learning that stuff. So for both of yeah. you, as someone um, at least coming into to the next future, basically, what should someone kind of starting out be be looking at developing because it sounds like a lot of things are changing and does that mean I need to go get computer science coding skills right now because that's the only thing that I'm going to need to do or what are some of those skills that that maybe we could be developing right now to to be prepared for for what's coming well I think that it's um like I have kind of a mixed background, right? So I um, originally I studied management and I was working in this and then I did my PhD in information systems and, and worked much more technical and learned uh, like programming. Um, but I think the, the most important, like from, it's my subjective point of view uh, from my experience, the, the most important thing is uh, to be interdisciplinary, to be able to understand like, like you don't need to be an expert. You don't need to be a computer scientist. You don't, but, and also a computer scientist doesn't need to be a, a business guy. Yeah. But the more you understand about the domain you're working in, it, I mean, it's also in, in healthcare, the more you understand the domain you're working on and, and to also um, work with, with people from other domains. And, and we see this, for example, in our day-to-day -day business, it's, it's very different communicating between different domains, but the kind of success formula is when AI is talking to product and, and product is talking to software engineering and, and they are talking to sales and you have this kind of um, mutual understanding. And as I said, you don't need to be a, an expert on technology, but you need to understand it because it's significantly influencing um, how things are done and, and how things work. And this is, this is, I think, the part that, that brings the, the biggest value. So, so something that I always say is like um, developing AI products, and, and I think you could also extend it to um, AI algorithms, um, is it's teamwork in the end. It's a team sport. Um, and I think if you're not doing it uh, super isolated uh, for a very small task just in research, it will always be like that. So you always need to um, have uh, some kind of domain understanding and, and uh, getting this outside knowledge in to, to uh, really solve the problem. Because if you don't understand the problem, you can be the best guy uh, in writing code. You can be, be the most amazing computer scientist. Um, I guess the results will not be amazing. Yeah, should I respond to that too? So I totally agree with Dominic. The, the one thing that I can add is uh, if the question is what, what do they have to follow to, you know, not to get behind or not to get banished in the air, it's they have to follow their passion first, like what they really like in their even academia or whatever they do, basically. Because even AI, when it creates more job, we will need 
will be need for other people as well. It's not like everyone has to be a computer scientist, but everyone has to be a you know, very top programmer in this and this. Actually, vice versa. In AI, they talk about something like you know, software version 2.0. I'm borrowing this from Andre Karpathy, which is a uh, lead, uh, the director of VP at Tesla, the director of uh, uh, computer vision at Tesla, basically. Software version 2.0 doesn't require to know a lot of software. It doesn't require to know, you know, a lot of programming and stuff. You just have to know to work with data and be able to write programs in deep learning, basically. Because, for example, if you want to write a program that detects duck from cat from an image or from a video, right? If you if you do it with programming, like I know you guys in business, you use R, for example, or Python. If you do it with R, <laughs> probably probably it takes a hundred thousand, maybe millions of lines of code. And then if you show it another doc, it's going to break. But if you do it with AI, it's going to take probably, you know, 50 lines of code, maybe something like that. So it doesn't have to be specifically computer programming or computer science. It definitely, I would say it could be anything, but I totally agree having, knowing what's, what's the demand and what's, what, what do we need? Basically, that's, that's what they probably have to follow. And if, what do we need? falls into their passion too, then you will be the next, you know, I don't know, Elon Musk or whomever, basically, you know, if it falls into your passion, because if you trying to solve problem that's been solved or, you know, there are solutions for it and people using it and you are just trying to tweak it just a bit, I don't think that's going to work too much. But if you are looking for disruptive technologies or at least, you know, kind of finding out what's out there, and what do we know? And knowing a generic, like Dominic mentioned, a interdisciplinary generic knowledge of multiple things. And if that falls into your passion, then you, you should be good to go, I would say. I, I would say I would say I couldn't pick two best uh, two better guests than these two, because they are pitching like pretty much my idea of like when I teach in class, and I always say to my students, hey, you know, it's good to have a good understanding of different things, like cleaning your data, exploring your data, and then analyzing your data. But I mean, there is so much we can do during the semester. So less is more. Try to learn the basic and then what is your, your passion? Then you go more in depth and learn all these concepts. And I also want to emphasize one very underestimated point by Milad. While these technology are getting more and more complex, they are also becoming more easier to use for us, right? The user interface is becoming much more accessible. Uh, my daughter is, I shouldn't say this, but my daughter is two years old. She can use the computer, I mean, the my phone or the iPad, whatever it is, better than, you know, <laughs> somebody who's 60 years old. And I mean, that's just, just incredible to me. And, and that's, uh, that's, that's the power you, of the technology. That's, that's what you see is expanding that fast, basically, right? Because previously, maybe you had to be a son or daughter of some wealthy people to be able right. to go but, learn coding. But now your daughter at five years old so can do coding basically without yes. any price, any expense that Dominic brought up a very good point, make this accessible. And that's what make our progress to be a lot, like tons faster than 20 years ago, for example. So this is this conversation I really enjoyed, but I, I find it going the way a lot of conversations go about artificial intelligence, robotics, all those things, technology, just in general, is that it's going to change. It's going to be better. There's going to be growing pains, but it's still the way we need to be going for 
for you both as people probably further in this industry and this technology than I would say the majority of, of citizens and, and, and people, what's the, is there a threat to, to AI? Is there something that you both are concerned about or saying, hey, if this starts to happen, then we do have a problem, then we do have that stuff? Or is it really like, as long as we keep making good decisions, which humans are known for doing completely as a society, um, but like where where is your kind of red flags with with the potential of artificial intelligence if there are any yeah. dominic you want to go first yeah sure um i think um that the, the first step uh, is basically education again so making people understand it because the first threat is like a misunderstanding and then and then going to this uh, kind of senseless discussions about threats that are maybe not uh, existent. Um, and on the other hand, also uh, when policymakers don't understand technology, then we're making uh, laws, we're making policy uh, for things that don't make sense at all. And I think uh, we, we see, uh, again, European problem, right? With what, what we did with all this GDPR uh, compliance rules and, and uh, now also with trying to regulate AI, it's, I think it's going in a totally wrong direction because we are not actually solving the, the real threats and the real problems there, but we're just making up uh, some rules that are in my opinion, often coming from a wrong understanding of, of this technology. And Tell me, uh, we can come you, up I, with... Can yeah. you define the GDPR, what that is? I know some of our audience members might not have a context of that. Ah, yeah, so, so, so basically we have this uh, um, data privacy policy. And I think uh, like the, the original idea there was to kind of um, giving you autonomy uh, over your data, like your private data. And the goal was, uh, and I might be wrong there, but I think the goal was there to um, kind of um, go against monopolies, like, for example, Facebook, Google, and, and things like that. What actually happened is um, it made, like, it, it's really um, kind of hindering pro progress that we have. And now we have a lot of uh, regulation that is coming up with... Um, uh, how you kind of uh, need to to deal with AI. And, and we, we don't have this kind of sandboxing approach where you say, yeah, we try it out and, and we see what happens because actually we don't know. And we kind of work hand in hand with uh, regulatory institutions. Um, but here it's more this kind of, uh, okay, first of all, uh, it's dangerous. So we, we make a law against it or we kind of try to control it. Like I said, the, the thing, Dennis, we are not, we're talking about ethics, we're talking about uh, all these kind of things, but we don't actually understand it, right? We, we don't understand what, what it means and what's the, the impact of technology there. And if we don't understand how we control kind of um, threats or, or misbehavior, then there's no way to make good policy and to make good regulation on that. And I think that's why the, the biggest threat that I see is that we are not able to catch up with the, the understanding about AI technology across the society, like uh, kind of going out from, uh, again, I think uh, all of us here, we are again in our bubble and, and uh, 
we all know about technology and it's easy to talk about it then, but we need to make sure that people understand it, like the, the, the average Joe understands it basically. And also people that are in, in power positions understand it, that are making policy, that are making regulations, that are kind of um, in, in politics, for example. And I think this is this is one of the, the most crucial parts. And then we can start thinking about how to control AI. Uh, for example, I don't know, um, having uh, like a, a general, maybe even global um, agreement on, on how AI should or should not be applied in weapons, for example. But for that, we, we need to really understand it. We need to understand the pros and cons because it's not like always there is a con. And I think with the weapons, it's a good example, right? So um, if I have intelligent weapons that are able to kill just the enemy, yeah, it, it might be a huge advantage compared to um, we throw a, a nuclear bomb because uh, we are not better in, in the kind of uh, hitting the target. And... Um, But I think to, to make this discussion really valuable, we need to make sure to get this, this common understanding about technology. Um, and I think with AI, because it's so pervasive, it's something that you don't have in so many other things, right? So if, uh, if you have a new technology that's coming in a niche, let's say, yeah, we have, uh, for example, in Europe, uh, finance is quite popular. So we have, um, a lot of blockchain stuff coming up in, in countries like Switzerland and, and the Dach region. Um, I think this is still a kind of niche technology. It's for the finance sector. Okay. Um, so finance experts need to understand it. But with AI, it's something pervasive that everyone needs to understand. Yeah. Like uh, this new kind of electricity, uh, I think uh, it was termed uh, already. And That's why it's not, it shouldn't be a niche any longer. It shouldn't be a bubble any longer. It should be understood by the broad society. So Dominic, you, you brought up a, a really, really cool thing um, within that stuff. And also thank you for bringing up the GDPR because our next uh, episode is going to be talking about privacy and all of those great things. <laughs> you're, you're lining this up perfectly for us. Um, so, but I, I want to then still go on the, the kind of the threats, the, the red flags. So Milan, with what you're doing with visual context, I, I could see that being directly implemented in, in military, uh, you know, actions. And I know we already have like the kill chain where like at some point a uh, computer somewhere says, Hey, it meets the close enough shadow imprint. So now we, you know, we send a drone and, and that's where, whether it's accurate or not, the, the synopsis of that story is very intimidating and, and very scary because then we are like Dominic, you mentioned, okay, it's cool when I get to press the button, like to make the decision when a human does, but the minute a computer does it, I'm like, hold on. Like, like, I don't, I don't trust that at all. So is that, is that a concern of yours or, or is that kind of like, Hey, again, with education, we, we'll, we'll see it get better. I think uh, with education, it's going to get better, but Whether we like it or not, I think government is going to regulate AI. That's, there is no question about this. They will go into regulate it because it's extremely powerful. 
And when I say powerful, I'm not talking about maybe today. I'm talking about, you know, because it is, we are just at the beginning of, you know, you know AI was there, right? For a long, long time, AI has been there. The problem is from 2012, when we found out that we can use, for example, GPUs, like graphical user, graphical uh, unit, computation units, we can use them or FPGAs or anything basically that can give us more power to compute than AI, you know, became, became something that, hey, we can definitely use this. So as an example, look at the autonomous vehicle. Again, I'm making a autonomous vehicle example. Before the car was here, even the automobile, just simple automobiles, you know, I don't know how long time ago, but there was no road, no bridges, or maybe not the way we see it today, right? So infrastructure had to change to basically to facilitate things for automobiles, right? Now, imagine you have autonomous vehicle, basically a robot that will interact with human being on the road. Let's say 50% you have human driver and 50% you have autonomous vehicle, basically. So that we are not gonna have that unless we will change infrastructures. And by infrastructure, I mean changing the roads, changing the regulation, changing the rules of traffic, everything basically. So government will intervene for sure. And whether we like it or not, government or anybody else can use AI for whatever they want, which they are absolutely using it right now. Like using it for, you know, like I said, for facial recognition in judiciary system in anywhere, basically. They can use it. Maybe they don't take a lot of action or take a lot of decision using it, but they're using it at least for evaluation right now, basically, for anything. So in terms of, uh, you know, military weapons, definitely you could use AI. You can, a lot of people are against it, that people, they are basically building it. I Today, actually, on LinkedIn, I saw a post. There was like, a, I think it was Ghost Robotics. They had their dog type robots with a big machine gun on it, gun machine on it, basically. The people were like, we are not building this for such a thing. But it's like a knife, like I said, right? You can either, you know, chop things and make Italian delicious food, or <laughs> you can hurt people, right? So yeah. it, it could be both ways, basically. We cannot stop just because we will say, hey, it's going to be used for other stuff, basically, bad things. We cannot stop doing improvement because on the other side, it's going to make our life a lot easier. Like I said, from manufacturing to logistics to healthcare, which is, I think, one of the most important things that you know AI can help us. We have to just improve on it. So there are... The other question you asked about limitations of AI and why we are not there yet. Why I can't create a machine that basically is like a human, human brain, basically, or do whatever a human does, basically. Why we can't do that. One of the biggest reasons why we couldn't do things before, for example, 2012, it was because of computation power. Even now, I can tell you there are so many companies right now, they are precisely working on computation power to increase that, to make things faster. You know what I mean? Like there is a company in uh, England, uh, in Bristol, I believe. Uh, I don't remember their name, but they, they build IPUs, which is different than CPU or GPU or FPGA or ASICs. It's specifically for artificial intelligence and it's called Intelligence Processing Unit, which makes things a lot faster. I think it's a unicorn startup that I don't think it's yet public, but it's a very, very good company that they do, you know, very, very fast computation. The computation, data, and algorithm. These three things are the main component of, I would say, any AI algorithm. Computation power, we are not there yet. 
even though if you have billions of, for example, images to train a system, like Tesla, for example, they, the, the lack of data, they have very simple algorithms for their, you know, uh, autopilot, basically, for their vision-based algorithm. I, I don't think it's very complex based on what they say. The advantage they have is data. So imagine they have tens of thousands of cars on the road collecting real-time data for them. I'm not sure about their privacy policies or things like that, but they are collecting data. So not, not having enough data, not having enough power, not having really good algorithms, and not having yet human intelligence, those four things I would say are the main limitations of AI. Just let me just make one simple example for now. In autonomous vehicle world, you have, uh, think about a, a car on the in, 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 intersection. It basically sees a man or a lady that basically are struggling to get into their car, right? If it's a human, you understand that because of millions of years of evolution in your brain and th seeing things, right? You can safely pass it and not making a traffic. But if it, it is a, you know, autonomous vehicle like Cruise or Waymo or Neuro or whatever, it's not going to move at all. So in terms of algorithm, in terms of perception, in terms of hardware limitations, we still are not there. And that's one of the biggest limitations. I, I have to jump on this just because I know time is going on. And I, I got a good question in the chat. I, I want to make two points. I think that these two guests brought uh, to us is one is misinformation and uh, miscommunication and we we do live in a time and period of time where we get a lot of news from social media and other outlets and i think those can be very misleading with us if, if i think about the example of milad of autopilot when a tesla has an accident on autopilot is everywhere right when there are thousands of people that drive drunks or cause accident every day but when it does a computer you know, is, is, is a bigger problem. So the question I have in the chat is actually about this, is about trust. So trust is one of the key elements of building a platform, a brand. To what extent can we provide transparency and accountability to our customer while we start using AI to advance level, to scale up our business? Can you share your perspective on this? This is from the chat. It's a great question. I like to hear about trust in AI. Yeah. Yeah, I think tra transparency um, is, I think when we talk about, for example, interpretable AI, um, it's a very interesting field and it's also a very interesting uh, concept, but the question is like, what does it actually mean? And, and what I mean by that is like practically, because uh, I can make kind of a neural net in some way to like approximate it and, and make it maybe interpretable or say, yeah, this were the, the neurons involved. But actually, we need to make it interpretable for our end user, right? So, like, if I'm, uh, for example, a decision maker and um, I'm telling you now, yeah, it's, it was uh, like this and uh, the, the, the feature importance of this was uh, this uh, value and, and the, the coefficient here. And those people say, what the fuck? So what should I do now, right? So um, is it uh, maybe transparent? Yeah, this is it interpretable to a specialist, definitely. But you need to make it like understandable and interpretable to the the human uh, that is actually like, for example, in a in a specific domain working there and doing that, their normal job. And I think this is the one of the the challenges there. How how you can kind of bridge it from a purely technical thing to a actually product thing or like uh, like a usable thing 
and also to to kind of how much how much uh, transparency do we actually want as users for example to be honest i think many times it's just the illusion of understanding what's happening that makes it convenient for people and there comes basically the part like how can we i think the interesting part is how to also like let the user decide how much interpretability and, and transparency they actually want because it, i think many times um, you will have situations where people are saying no, no yeah I, if i trust because of the outcome like if the outcome brings me value and and i kind of uh If I think, yeah, I will actually make the same choice as the system suggests to me, um, I think this creates trust. So the outcomes create trust. And then what we see many times in, in applications, they don't care how it's created. They don't care how what's going in the background. For them, it's like, yeah, okay, it's AI or it's something. But what they actually care about is, do I trust The result and trusting the result, I think, is a progress of of learning that the the results actually make sense. And I think it's still also trusting, for example, the company or trusting the the people that that work with them. If I work, for example, in a project with with a client and and I give them software, it's a lot about do they trust me and do they trust us as a company? And then they start trusting their results when they think they make sense and then people start trusting AI I think that's the the many times the way and if I say you're perfect interpretable um, have fun <laughs> it doesn't really bring them value because it's it's really this uh, kind of do I think what what comes out makes sense mm-hmm. Milad is going to say something about cars, right? He's going to say that Tesla can bring you somewhere without you paying attention to it, so it's going to be super available. Yeah. I think I think we should have more about this conversation because because the kind of idea of AI adoption and you know all these uh, related questions that comes with it. But but I totally agree on you about do you, do I see enough value to actually use it and and take chances? And, and we have seen this before when we were talking about you know, e-commerce, do we trust making a purchase online? And, and now people are using every days and don't even go grocery shopping because of it. So, yeah. I think it mainly probably comes with time as well. Like you, you have to, like Dominic mentioned, you have to just see the outcome. People really, I uh, just reiterate Dominic, they don't care about, you know, how things are built. They just want to see the, you know, for example, we had to deploy robots in customers site. They don't care how you do it. They don't even know AI, right? They just know it does better than human. It does better. It gives you good quality, you know, product, for example. It just, your phone does good. It shows you, it's a small box, but full of things basically, right? So people trust it, you know, if it has a very good outcome through the time. And people, we are good followers. We usually follow the trend, basically. If we see everyone uses the autonomous vehicle, other people will use it too. You know what I mean? So it's a matter of kind of being transparent. It's a matter of making it more accessible, making it understandable for people, how things are. And then basically, you know, just looking at the outcome and see if it's doing good or not. That's, that's what I feel too. Wow. 
Yeah, uh, Dominic Malad, this was this was an absolutely enjoyable conversation. I know we got to wrap things up, and, and again, thank you both for being here for for sharing your perspectives with with our audience. I I know I learned a lot from this conversation, but again, I think as we're finishing up, there's there's only more things to be discussed, and these conversations are important. So again, truly, thank you for for sharing your time with all of us. Everyone else, thank you all for being here. Make sure to be looking for our next episode on December 1st about privacy and cybersecurity. Uh, feel free to reach out to omis at niu.edu for, for an ability to RSVP for that. And again, thank you all for joining us and you know, have a good rest of your day. Happy Halloween. Don't be scared of robots. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. Thank you, guys. Thank Thanks, you everyone. Okay, bye. <laughs>